welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'm trying to put down, as clearly as I know how, an important thing that I, I believe the Lord has taught me over the years. I have been uh, what you would call a Pentecostal Christian since I met the Lord. That's how I met the Lord at the age of 12. Um, and so this entire time I've been in, in Pentecost one way or another. I've pastored in some, uh, another denomination and all, but I've always been who I am and, uh, and been around the life of the Spirit and in the course of time, there's, there's, there's a struggle, and I'm going to allude to it today. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a struggle in the church of Jesus Christ over the question, really, when does someone receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And, and uh, how, how do we know that? And, and so this thing has, this debate has divided the church. And what I'm going to share today, in my mind, is not trying to find a compromise. I actually believe that there's been a missing uh, understanding on both sides and I think the Lord has something to say and I think it the the point of it isn't to make everybody get along though that would be lovely the point of it is so that more people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and move in God and uh, so I'm going to share that with you today and and uh, may the Lord Lord would you guide and grace me to get out of the way and let us hear you we bring to you our hearts we ask you to open our ears and eyes and teach us, Lord. We would be men and women who move in all that we can of the Spirit of God. Grace us and help us have your kindness and your compassion as we deal with others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. A heated debate has been going on in the family of God for a long time. Opinions are divided over how to answer the question, when does a person receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? One group says that every person who repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit immediately, and in most cases, imperceptibly. This group expects no unusual phenomena to accompany the arrival of the Spirit, but firmly relies on promises that state that the Holy Spirit will be given to every believer. You may have seen it, and there, there, are, there are tracts. Uh, uh, Bill Bright produced a track about receiving the Holy Spirit, and, and the phrase that he used, and it's used often, is that there were, I received the Holy Spirit, but there was no bells and whistles. That, for some reason, people say, I had no bells and whistles, meaning nothing notable took place, but I believe it happened, because the promise is there. And uh, so that's, that's one, uh, this one approach. And one needs to look no further for such promises than Jesus' statement to his disciples in the upper room before he was arrested. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Or Peter's sermon on Pentecost, which he concluded by saying, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say you might receive it. It doesn't say it would be, you know, some will, some won't. It's simply you will receive it. Jesus says repent, and then this is basic salvation. Uh, in the early church, uh, they did not raise their hand when they wanted to receive Jesus. They lined up and got baptized. So if you wanted, to, you wanted to receive Christ, you got baptized. Well, why? Well, baptism, just talk about declaring what you need to say to get saved. You're standing there saying, I die with Christ, I rise with him. I stand here, a sold-out disciple, making my public declaration that Christ is my Lord. I mean, that'll do it, right there. And so, he's, Peter's basically saying, if you repent, meaning turn away from your willful rebellion against God, it doesn't mean you're just sorry for all the sins you've done. Uh, that's a given. It is the, the root problem of rebellion, independence, and selfishness will be turned. And that I will walk away from that and I will, walk, I will submit to the Lord, put my hand in his and let him be my Lord and follow him. I am no longer my own Lord. He is now the boss. 
and I gladly follow him. So that's repentance, and then I will join Christ in his death and resurrection, and he's my righteousness. And Peter, Peter says, if you'll do that, you will receive the promise. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in Jesus or Peter's statements to suggest that a person who repents and believes might not be given this gift. So this group will say, whether or not there is any noticeable evidence of the Spirit's indwelling, based on God's promises, we can be confident that he has come. The group on the other side of the debate turns to the book of Acts and points to the fact that every time the Holy Spirit baptized a person or group of people, there was visible evidence, and that visible evidence included some sort of miraculous speech, whether by speaking in tongues or prophecy. This group also points to the fact that the reception of this gift did not always occur right away. In Samaria, water-baptized believers had to wait until Peter and John arrived and laid their hands on them before they received the Holy Spirit. You recall that? In, in Samaria, it, says, uh, it literally says Philip the Evangelist, not Philip the, uh, Philip the Disciple. Philip the Evangelist had water baptized them and they, were, they, were, they had given their lives to Jesus Christ. There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about what had happened. But it says the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. Well, what's that? And so Peter and John come up from Jerusalem. It's about a 40-mile walk. They come up and they lay hands on them and then the Holy Spirit came. Uh, Paul was powerfully converted by a direct encounter with a risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. But he didn't receive the Holy Spirit until Ananias laid his hands on him and prayed that he be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Roman believers in Cornelius' home received the Holy Spirit at the moment they believed, but his arrival was not imperceptible. When he fell on them, they began to speak in tongues and exalt God. Many years later, 26 to be exact, many years later when Paul met a group of disciples in Ephesus whom Apollos had led to repentance and faith in Jesus, and Apollos at that point was a disciple of John the Baptist, he asked them this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they replied, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. After baptizing them again in water so they could fully express their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, he laid his hands on them and when, they, when he did, they received the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues and prophesied. In light of such passages, those on this side of the, the debate believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily automatic and never imperceptible. It is a gift that in many cases needs to be sought for and will be miraculously confirmed when it has happened. In particular, this group expects those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. Because this issue is so personal and so spiritually significant, a deep rift has formed between these two groups. Those who hold the first view that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is always given and usually imperceptible, have become angry that there are those who say they don't have the Holy Spirit. And the other group is angry that there are, those, there are believers who ignore or dismiss the lessons to be learned from the examples found in the book of Acts. But the problem that is, is, is that both, that is causing this confusion is that both groups are right. The problem is they're both right. But only partly right. Each side has half the truth, but has refused to acknowledge the truth that their opponent proclaims. And the sad result has been that fewer people receive this gift on both sides of the debate. It prevents one side from pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because you automatically have it, and the other side from rising up and proclaiming it by faith when there aren't phenomena present. So people find themselves begging God to give it to them when he already has. Those who say that a person is always given the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he or she believes have strong promises to stand on. But those who expect the Holy Spirit to arrive as a transformative power that can be felt and observed and that will produce active gifts of the Spirit in a person, in particular speaking in tongues, also have strong 
biblical examples to stand on. And those examples cannot be ignored or dismissed by anyone who has a proper respect for the authority of Scripture. Uh, a few weeks ago, when our, our Foursquare convention was in, uh, in town, uh, the weekend before, we had a number of, of, of leaders from uh, other, other nations who came and visited our church. And one couple that was here, uh, our, our friends of ours, uh, Pete and Rick Brinksma, they, uh, for years, headed up the church, the Foursquare church called Raphael Netherlands in, in uh, Holland. And uh, they were here. And... Uh, they invited us a couple of times to speak at their uh, uh, national conference. And I don't remember whether I was the first or the second one. I think it was the second. Then I, I, I had a gentleman come up to me, and I'd been talking about the Holy Spirit. Go figure, how did that happen? Um, but I think I was in the book of Romans, actually. And I was teaching from Romans somewhere, and... and um, when in Holland, you teach on Romans. Okay. And, uh, but there I was, and I, and I had taught this, and, and I had said something about, obviously, the book of Acts. And he came up to me, and he said, he said, I was taught in seminary that we cannot accept the book of Acts as authoritative in theology because it is a narrative. Oh. Have you heard that? I mean, this is, a, this is a, if you haven't, well, I've just told you. And, um, <laughs> But this is a line that is used, and it's a line that's used a lot. The idea is it's a story, it's a narrative, it's telling you a story, so you cannot trust it as a theological truth, it's simply a a kind of a running history. Well, so are the Gospels. So I guess we don't get theology from them either. Now, they're highly selective, and the reason is, this is a battleground. It's exactly the issue I'm talking about now. It's a way of discrediting the book of Acts, as a theological uh, basis. So you, you have to put it in this artificial category. There's no such thing. Uh, I mean, the whole Bible's a narrative. The, the Pentateuch is a narrative, for goodness sakes. I mean, just, anyway. Um, so, but you're, they've said, now you can't study from it. And uh, my, you know, I, I responded to him nicely. I mean, I've heard that since I was in seminary. Uh, because, because this battlefield... People will say things within the Christian community about certain passages of the Bible and they will twist them in ways they would not do with any other thing at all. They would be ashamed to do it anywhere else. But in this point, it's, 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 it's a battle, man. And there's deep feelings and, and this, this issue over that. The book of Acts contains Peter's sermons. It contains Paul's sermons. It is written by Luke, who is as reliable as a historian, who says, I, I wrote down carefully I, from eyewitnesses. So he went in a very, very modern way, almost, to write a history. To say, I want an accurate history of what happened. And he's reporting to a man named Theophilus, giving whoever this is a report of, of the things that God had been doing in, in the church. Yes, you, you'll have to decide but my, my theology of scripture is that the entire Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, is the word of God. Amen. And I believe that it is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Say, say that. Is it our final authority in all matters of faith and practice? What it intends to teach, what, it, what the Bible intends to be teaching us, is true and is my truth. I, you just have, everybody has to make these decisions. But if you put the book of Acts into your theology, and you, for that matter, there's other epistles and everything else, and then the promises of Jesus. But if you, that book of Acts seems to be the battle zone. If you put that back into the theology, then it just really, really stirs things up. And the sad result of this debate has been to divide the body of Christ and prevent those on both sides of the debate from understanding the truth that the other side has seen. And that lack of understanding has reduced the ability of those on each side to receive all that God has given us in Jesus Christ. So let's try to understand the truth that each side has seen so that by believing both truths, we can receive and minister the Holy Spirit just as Jesus promised and the book of Acts revealed. All things, would you say all things? things. In writing to the church in Corinth, Paul made a remarkable statement. 
He said it, it He said it as he was correcting a wrong attitude that had divided the church into factions. People were separating themselves into groups based on who they considered to be their leader. Some chose Paul, some Apollos, some Peter, Cephas, and some Jesus. It's nice that Jesus got some votes in that, I think. (laughs) Since Paul was the apostle who founded the church in Corinth, the real reason the members of the church were choosing other leaders was to reject him as their apostle. They wanted to undermine his authority, so they criticized his appearance, his speaking ability, and even the fact that he didn't collect financial offerings to support his ministry. Serious. That is one of the things they threw at him. They said, if you are a real apostle, you take offerings. And and Paul, I'm so grateful, he was sarcastic. Doesn't that help? And, and, he, and he, said, he says, oh, forgive me for this oversight. <laughs> you know? He said, and then he says, I thought a father was supposed to provide for his children, not the children for the father. You know, but they were, they were attacking him, looking for any way they could to undermine Paul's authority and get away from it. And, and here's why. The real reason that motivated this rebellion was that they didn't like his gospel. The cross and resurrection seemed foolish to some of them. It didn't make sense to their logical minds. And to answer their challenge of his right to teach them, Paul reminded them that he and all the others whom they had named as leaders served the same Lord and belonged to the same God. But when he said that, he added a statement that is so amazing. We have to stop and read it several times in order to grasp its meaning. Listen. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Would you say all things belong to you? He told those Corinthian believers that all things belong to them. And in case anyone missed his point, he elaborated on what he meant by all things. And his list included the world, life, death, things present, and things to come. In other words, he was explaining what it means to be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It means that everything that belongs to him belongs to those who believe in him. We who love him have entered into a spiritual union with him, which is like marriage. But instead of each partner owning only half the estate, in Christ, both partners own all the estate. To have Jesus is to have been given every good thing that God gives. As Paul says elsewhere, why don't you read this with me? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he also with him freely give us all things? I just love that verse. I've I've memorized chapter 8 of Romans and I I recite it to myself. And and every time I come to that one, uh, it touches me. I mean, on occasion it'll bring tears. Paul says this. He says, if God would give you his son, If he would allow his son to be butchered on your behalf, what on earth would he withhold from you? And it's a a lock-tight argument. I mean, God, will you you protect me? No, but but I will give you my son. I'll let him just savage him for you. But no, I'm not going to protect you or provide for you. No, no, not that stuff. I'm certainly not going to heal you. (laughs) Uh, But I will give you Jesus. If he's, in, in Jesus, he's given us his best. He's given us the Prince of Heaven. He's given, he's given us the, the Father's greatest delight. And allowed that to be done. That shows the depth of his selfless love. If he'll do that, everything's on the table. That's, that's Paul's point. So here's... He, Paul is literally saying, you are going to be 
heirs, you're already actually, heirs of Christ, who, to whom the Father has given all things. Now, later, the world, things present, things to come, all belong to Christ and they now belong to you. They belong to you now because you're joined to Christ. You, you follow this? So here's how that truth applies to the subject of the Holy Spirit. When a person is joined by faith to Jesus, a spiritual union takes place and God gives that person every good gift and that certainly includes the baptism of the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit and is himself the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. So when we belong to him, that gift always immediately and unreservedly belongs to us. No higher qualification is possible than being joined to the righteousness he won for us by his crucifixion and resurrection. That means that a person who has genuinely repented and placed their full faith in him never needs to wonder if the Holy Spirit was given to them when they believed. Of course he was. And yet it is apparent to any impartial observer that some sincere believers do not appear to have received yet what God freely gave them. And that brings us to the other truth that we must understand. Receiving what God has given. It is not enough to know that God has given us a gift. We must reach out by faith and take hold of it. And not, and not understanding that fact has prevented many people from receiving what they have been given. The process of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit involves two participants. God who gives the Spirit and the human who receives him. Much of the confusion that surrounds this subject arises when believers don't acknowledge both sides of the process. There is a divine side and a human side. Would you say that? There is a divine side and a human side. What God gives must be received. But there can be obstacles that make it difficult for someone to receive. It is a mistake to say that because God has given me a gift which is clearly promised in Scripture that therefore I have automatically received it. The Bible is full of examples of unreceived promises. Not because God failed or would fail to do what he said he would do, but because the human involved did not reach out by faith and take hold of what God offered. In other words, we humans cannot be passive when it comes to receiving God's promises. We can't indefinitely assume that we have received something if there continues to be no evidence to show that it exists. See, what we've fallen into is a theology. The, the, the theological thing, well, I, you know, the theology says I have it, so I have it, but there's no evidence of it. The Bible is, expects genuine, powerful, transformative uh, work of the Spirit. It does not expect just a theology like, I know it's there somewhere. Listen to how Jesus pictures the process of God giving and our receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is uh, spoken to the woman at the well in Samaria. Everyone who drinks of this water, that's from Jacob's well, will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of, spring, of water springing up to eternal life. Clearly the Holy Spirit inside. Here's another. This is John 7. This was on, it's spoken in the Feast of Tabernacles. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If someone is thirsty, and this was spoken when, in the festival when they would take a pitcher, a pitcher of water and pour it out on the altar. So as this, the pouring out of water in which they're saying we're pouring out all our water trusting you to provide rain, you know, and, and water for the, for the future. And Jesus says, and that is anyone, he rises up, raises up his voice and loud to everybody says, if you're thirsty, come to me and, and do what? Say drink. drink. Yeah, that's our part. He pours out, we drink. If we listen carefully, we can hear both sides of the process. Jesus pours out, but we must drink. He gives, but we must receive. 
He exhales, but we must inhale. Then I've got the verse there from John 19. This is the resurrected Jesus in the upper room, with a, with a, with a closed room at least, with those, with those disciples. And what did he do? He blew, blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Notice the two sides. Receive. He exhales, we inhale. Really, the image, in fact, the John uses a, a verb. He doesn't just say he breathed. He, he, there's, a, there's a preposition stuck on the verb. Uh, and it's unique. There's, there's just a couple of them. I mean, this is a unique thing. He says he, 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 he inbreathed. Literally, the word is inbreathed them. He inbreathed them. And it, it pictures Adam. Because in the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's the word used for Adam. And so it's there, at God makes this clay statue of Adam, and then he says he, he inbreathed, that very verb, his nostrils. And Adam became a living being. God exhales, we inhale. Follow this? There's two sides to this thing. And this is where we've gotten confused. We keep taking, well, he, he's, he's exhaled, <laughs> he's given, he's poured out, there it is. Have you inhaled? Did you drink? Did you receive? You know, you can give someone a gift, all wrapped up with a bow, and you can give it to me, and I've now got my gift. See my gift? It's mine. Isn't that beautiful? You know, I got a gift. And, and, and someone might say, well, you're going to pull the ribbon there and open that thing and uh, look inside? No, not, no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, I mean, I've got the gift. You have the gift, all right. But there's a human side to this thing. Pull the ribbon, open the lid, and take it. This is true, honestly, of salvation. If you want to know this, 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 this approach of passive acknowledgement versus active reception is the issue that goes on in salvation. There's many churches that do not call for salvation. They do not call for a person to make decision. They simply announce it. And it is assumed that it is there. In fact, you are not to reach out and take it. You are to passively trust it might, it's there sort of thing. And, it, and, it's, and it's harmed people. And then when, they be, when they're invited to say, no, no, you need to repent. <laughs> You need to reach out and, and lay hold of the cross. You need to hang on to what Jesus has given you. You reach out by faith. You'll watch them born again. You'll watch them light up. Their eyes light up. Their whole being lights up. They suddenly are engaged now. Jesus has come into their life. You, it is not a, this is not a passive thing. There's a human side and a divine side. All through the Bible. His part is to give us the Holy Spirit. Which he does as soon as we believe in him. He gives the Spirit to every believer. Say every believer. Every. Without measure. That's John the Baptist. But that doesn't mean that every believer has received the Holy Spirit in a deep, indwelling, transformative way. If a person is never taught to expect the Spirit's power, nor provided pastoral help when such help is needed, or has been taught that the power of God is no longer available today as it was in Bible times, or that the gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy were withdrawn when the New Testament was written, then this baptism of the Holy Spirit can be given to a person in potential but go unreceived in practice. I am simply watching people, you say, say what you will, I'm watching people who are clearly good, devoted, born-again Christians when they're helped to just reach out and take, open the package, as it were, they are, they are profoundly transformed. I'll, I'll give you one example. A um, woman who, was, uh, who, who, said, who told me, she said, I have not, I, I've sought this um, for 40 years. And she said, I've, I've not been able to receive it. I guess, maybe, you know, maybe, and I've often heard this phrase, maybe, some, maybe it's not for me, you know. Uh, it's just, I've sought it, I've asked for it. And um, what I've found is very often, they just need some pastoral help. Now, knowing what you know about my theology, when someone is a, a Christian like that and comes to me, I don't feel any need to, to have them ask for the Holy Spirit in a sense like, God, give me the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think that's, and haven't we heard people beg God for the Holy Spirit? 
and say, God, give it to me. And I don't know why you won't give me the baby. And, and all of that is, is, is false. It's false thinking. If, you, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, he's given you everything already. In Christ, joined to Christ, it's yours now, has been yours. So all right, that's how I thought of this with this woman. And we had, used to have these Holy Spirit nights, and uh, I miss them. They were, they were a lot of fun. We just, it's just a matter of scheduling. But uh, we would have a worship team that would lead us, and they would just lead us in, in beautiful worship uh, uh, up here. And then we would uh, say to people, when you're ready, just raise your hand or come forward, and uh, we'll either come sit beside you and pray for you. And we had a team of counselors, and we would minister to, to those who came. Well, she was there, and she, she raised her hand. And I went and sat beside her, and, and she said, Pastor, I, I've, I've sought this for 40 years, and I, I can't just, I just can't. And I said, well, um, what I'd like you to do, I said, we just need to step out here. And uh, I don't want you to mimic me or anything like that, but I want to ask you, at some point, you got to speak, you got to, you got to step away from English. And so I just, just say something that's not English. You know, just get out there and just, and then wait, and just in, by faith, we'll trust as we step out of the boat, as it were, and walk on water. We're going we're gonna to step into the miracle. All right? So she, I'm standing beside her. I said, no, I'm going to pray. You just go for it. I won't, I'm not listening to you. not judging you. Just go. So she starts going, la, da, ba, la, da, ba, da, da, ba. Then she looks over at me. She goes, Why? She says, oh, pastor, that's not it. And I, and I said, are you speaking by faith? Yes. I said, then go, go, do it. <laughs> da, la, da, ba, da, da, la, ba, sa, la, la, ba, da. And then all of a sudden she went, ke, da, 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 ma, tiri, la, ba, sor. And for 40 minutes, if it was a minute, tears running on her face, out poured this beautiful language. Amen. Next Sunday, <laughs> I went, you know, when we greet, I went walking by her and she went, <laughs> Here's, and I, here's, what, uh, here's what I got to tell you is there's a difference when people have stepped in. I, I, I was just noticing somebody recently who's been in the church probably as long as I have and has finally stepped through in this, as it were. And I suddenly noticed them ministering all over the church. Now, for they were good Christians. But all of a sudden, they're, they're spunky. There's a boldness. There's, a, there's an energy to them. There's a, there's a faith, shall I say, that's sort of vital. Like they're ministering and laying hands on people and praying to people. It, it, it lights people up. This is why I can't let this go. I cannot just let this go. I know this is for you. I know it, it's, 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 it's what... It's, I received this when I was 12, and I've never recovered. <laughs> it, it, it isn't, it, it, it's not, it, this is not salvation. It is, it is the gift to the saved. And it is yours. And he, Jesus, see, Jesus made a big deal about this. This is not just others coming in and importing something. Jesus made a big deal about it. And he said, something's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming in a new way. He didn't just say you're going to get more of the spirit like Elijah had, you know, or, you know, the spirit's going to come on you real well. He said, don't you even go out and do anything until this new thing that I am providing, that through me, that's what the blow is. I'm the one. It's through me. This is going to come to you. My cross and resurrection is essential, and it's going to bring a new relationship. A moving of the Holy Spirit from outside. He will be, he's with you, but he will be in you. And when he's in you, you will now in boldness and in, my, and, and, and in the power of the gifts of the Spirit, able to hear me, able to see me, able to move with me, you're going to do what I've been doing. That's the plan. That's the entire New Testament design. And of course, it's gotten caught in arguments. And it's gotten caught in all these, all these discussions. But that's why people, it, it, you, it is for you. And you need to want and be thirsty. If you've not received this, 
You're not substandard anything. We don't go running around asking who does, who doesn't kind of thing. That isn't it at all. And, and I, I'm not going to talk about the tongue today, but I will one of these days. I won't tell you which Sunday because yeah. <laughs> I want to catch you. Yeah, no. But I will talk about the tongue because there is a reason that the tongue is an issue. Yeah, and it's not just, it's, it, but there's another sermon. Okay, I'll get back to this. Conclusion. Those who say, when I believed in Jesus, God gave me the Holy Spirit are right. He did. But those who ask the question, well, if you've got it all, where is it all? Are also right. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not meant to be a theological truth that we affirm but never experience. It's meant to be a very real encounter with the power of God. And that's not usually automatic. And when it happens, a person is never left unaware that God himself has come to them. It's impossible for the creator of heaven and earth to take up residence inside someone and for that person not to know it. Bells and whistles, my foot. <laughs> Fire and brimstone. I mean, you know, if God comes inside you, somehow you're going to have a clue. Yeah. They, they may not be able to explain what's happened, but they will know that God is real and that he has come. See, I think there are people, many people, who've been baptized in the Spirit and didn't even know what it was. Don't know how to label it. If you go back... In church history, you find one after another of, of, the, of the great leaders who had these profound encounters. And I think they were baptisms with the Holy Spirit. And, and you, you need to know something. I, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't speaking in tongues. Those who are baptized in the Spirit can speak in tongues. It's a wonderful gift, and I deeply want, and everybody can do it. And, I, and, I, and yes, I think it's very valuable. But it's a mistake to equate tongues with the baptism. The baptism is the coming of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside the tabernacle. This is the baptism. And I'm going to actually, if time allows, and even if it doesn't, I will probably read you a story here in a second, in which I'll give you an example of that. Here's, here's the power of it. When people, when the Spirit of the Lord comes to them, they meet him as a person and their theology changes in a sense. He moves from being something or someone, a concept of God they believe in to a person they have met. And that is very real. I don't just believe in him, I've met him. To know he has, has come. To know that God has come to me and is dwelling in me. To, to have sensed this, it's transformative. Uh, as a, as, a, as a, young, a young man, uh, 12 years of age, grow, uh, growing up in a broken home, uh, my mother's depressed, uh, we have a lot of yelling, I've talked to the police a couple of times, I'm already headed the wrong directions, and I'm getting C's, D's, and F's. That, I'm not joking, that's my grade, my, my report card, and I could care less, it meant nothing to me. That, that boy gets dragged to a prayer meeting, and stuck in a chair in the back. No one's paying any attention to him. And the power of the Holy Spirit fell on me. And I, I, I fainted. I know because I came to. I didn't even know when it happened. I didn't even know it had happened. I just suddenly came to and was lit. And, and he, had, he had grabbed my tongue. <laughs> and, and you took this boy with no purpose... No, no, nothing but sort of confusion and, and, and depression. And all of a sudden, I am loved by God. I don't know why. I'm not even sure who he is. I mean, I don't know how to fill this in. I don't hardly know. I don't got a theology. I don't even know who this is. I assume it has to do with this God and the Bible. But he's done this and he's come to me like this. It, 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 it's so healing. So think of what our young people need today. Think of what our old people need today. I mean, right now, to be wandering through life, sort of not sure if there's a God or not, wondering if when you die, it just goes black. That's horrible. No wonder people are just drinking wine. They're just staying buzzed, waiting for the inevitable. That's terrible. 
This, this meeting with God, it's why you can't, you, I can't let it go. This meeting with God is essential. It's part of what Jesus came to bring. Yes, he washed our sins away, but he washed our sins away so we could now be full of the Holy Spirit and walk with God and, in an intimate, personal, powerful, joyful way. He, he brought something big. And not just, yeah, I mean, it is big to have your sins wiped away. For goodness sakes, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but it shouldn't be hell till I get there. It, it, this is meant to be the, the, the life. He called it eternal life. He said we'd, be, we'd have rivers of it. All right, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, no, I won't. If, if it, yes, I will. All right. A word of caution. Those on the one side of the debate need to stop saying that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. Because they most certainly are. Paul tells us that they will be given to believers until the return of Jesus Christ. And that's what that verse means. 1 Corinthians 13, 10. We desperately need them, all of them, as we move into the future. But the group on the other side of this debate needs to stop saying that those who have not had a dramatic encounter with the Spirit don't have, or don't speak in tongues don't, and don't prophesy, don't have the Holy Spirit. That's a terrible thing to say about another believer. Because we all have been given all things in Christ. And frankly, we are all still learning how to receive more of what we have been given None of us has received as much of God as he, as he would give us. Each of us needs to humble ourselves before him and drink more deeply from those limitless rivers of living water. I will read very quickly. I'm reading from an old book. It's out of, out of print. Uh, it's by R.A. Torrey, Reuben Archer Torrey. He was a famous man in, in, that, in a past generation. And he was the founder, founding president of uh, what was called, what's called Biola, uh, Bible Institute of Los Angeles. He was the second president of Moody Bible uh, Institute in, in Chicago. Uh, he, he, I, I won't go on and on, but he, te- he, was, he was a pastor and he had this, this encounter. This man who founded Biola he went around the world numerous times with a, with a, with a singing um, evangelist named Alexander. And so Tori and Alexander went around the world and, 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 and Ari Tori's main message was salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he taught it aggressively. Listen to this. This is how he received it. And you'll hear what I've said today have, take place in him. Take my own experience, he said. These are lectures he gave to students in in Northfield, Massachusetts. Um, I had been a minister for some years before I came to the place where I saw that I had no right to preach until I was definitely baptized with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. I went to a business friend of mine and said to him in private, I am never going to enter my pulpit again until I have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and know it, or until God in some way tells me to go. Then, just as far as I could, I shut myself up alone in my study and spent time continually on my knees asking God to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. As the days passed, the devil tried to tempt me by saying, suppose Sunday comes and you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, what then? I replied, whatever comes, I will not go into my pulpit and preach again until I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and know it, or God in some way tells me to go." Even though I have to tell my people I have never been fit to preach. But Sunday did not come before the blessing came. It, I, had, I had it more or less definitely mapped out in my mind what would happen. Don't we all? Yeah. But what I had mapped out in my mind did not happen. I recall the exact spot where I was kneeling in prayer in my study, and I could go, go to the very spot in that house at 1348 North Adams Street in Minneapolis. By the way, my, my, my family's from there, and we were back one day, and there'd been a hurricane that would, or tornado they'd gone through and torn up stuff, and we went right by Adams Street in Minneapolis, and I'm going, which house was it? You know, I, I, it was a very quiet moment, one of the most quiet moments I ever knew. Indeed, I think one reason I had to wait so long was because it took that long before my soul could get quiet before God. And then God simply said to me, not in any audible voice, but in my heart, it's yours. Now go preach. 
Oh, if I had only known my Bible better. He had already said it to me in his word in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he, he, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the petition which we ask of him. In other words, it's, it's his will. And when you, the first time you asked, I mean, it was already, it was yours. That's what he's saying. But I did not know then my Bible as well as I know it now. And God had pity on my ignorance and said it directly to my soul. You do not need to have it said directly to your soul, for I have shown it to you this morning in his word. <laughs> I went and preached, and I have been a new minister from that day to this. When I was a pastor of a, I was then a pastor of a very small and obscure church, though I had taken two degrees at Yale and had studied at two German universities. But from that time in my field, my, pardon me, from that time, my field began to wonderfully enlarge until at last I had preached the gospel around the world and had seen, I suppose, hundreds of thousands converted to Christ. He did. Sometime after this experience, I do not recall just how long after, while I was sitting in my room one day, that very same room, I recall just where I was sitting before my revolving bookcase. I do not know whether I was thinking about this subject at all. I do not remember, but suddenly... As near as I can describe it, though it does not exactly describe it, I was struck from my chair onto the floor, and I found myself shouting. I was not brought up to shout. I am not of the shouting temperament. But I shouted like the loudest shouting Methodist. Oh, come on. <laughs> glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And I could not stop. I tried to stop, but it was just as if some other power was, other than my own was moving my jaws. At last, when I had succeeded in pulling myself together, I went downstairs and told my wife what had happened. But I bet she wanted to know. <laughs> but that was not when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Listen to the man. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit when I took him by simple faith in the naked word of God. Any one of you can be thus baptized today. Yes, you can be baptized before you leave the building this afternoon. God grant that you may be. When I, what I am trying to get you to do more than all else is to get you to believe God's word. Without any other guarantee. And take the baptism of the Holy Spirit by simple faith in God's word. Now, I'm going to read this. I, hang on. He goes on just one little bit. Let me tell you one more incident before I close. July 8, 1894. I was at a student's convention in Northfield, Massachusetts. The preceding night, I had spoken at Stone Hall upon the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it is, what it does, and who needs it, and who can have it. And now the closing Sunday morning service was being held in the congregational church, and I was speaking on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how to obtain it. I said very much what I've said to you this afternoon and yesterday afternoon. As I finished, I took out my watch and saw that it was exactly 12 o'clock. And I turned to that great body of students and said, Mr. Moody has invited us to go up on the mountain this afternoon at 3 o'clock to pray that we may receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know who D.L. Moody is? D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon were really the giants of a past generation. Um, Moody was uh, not a theologically trained man, uh, and, but he was powerful in, in the Holy Spirit. Had his own baptism of the Spirit. Anyway, so this is Mr. Moody. He lived at Northfield, Massachusetts. And um, so he's, he says, now it was 12 o'clock. He said, it is now exactly 12 o'clock. It is three hours to three o'clock. When they were invited to meet with Mr. Moody. Some of you cannot wait three hours. And you do not need to. Go to your room in the hotel. Go to your room in the buildings. Go to your tent. Go out into the woods. Go anywhere you can get alone with God. And have this matter out with God. That afternoon at 3 o'clock, we all met up in front of Mr. Moody, Mr. Moody's mother's house. She was still living then. And then we went down through the lane, through the gate, 456 of us in all. Paul Moody counted us when we went through the gate. 456 men, listen to this, from Yale, Harvard, Amherst, Dartmouth, and other eastern colleges. And went up on the mountainside. And after we'd gone some distance, Mr. Moody said, I do not think we need to go any further. Let's stop here. And he sat down on a stump and others sat down on logs and on the ground. And Mr. Moody said, 
Before we go to God in prayer, have any of you anything to say? One after another, those men rose, and I should think about 75 in all, as I recall it, and said in substance, Mr. Moody, I could not wait until 3 o'clock. I've been alone with God, and I believe I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. When these testimonies were over, Mr. Moody said, I see no reason why we should not kneel down right here now and ask God that the Holy Spirit may come upon us just as definitely as he came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Let us pray. And we knelt in prayer and some of us lay on the ground on our faces. There were no women present, only men. We began to pray and as we had gone up the mountainside, clouds had begun gathering over the mountain. And as we began to pray, the clouds broke and the raindrops began to fall upon us through the overhanging pine needles. But another cloud had been gathering over Northfield for 10 days. A cloud big with the grace and power of God. And as we began to pray, our prayers seemed to pierce that cloud. And the Holy Ghost fell upon us. Men and women, if I'm any judge, a cloud has been gathering. Over this building for some days, a cloud big with the grace and power of God. Why not pierce that cloud with our prayers right now? Expectation. A process of reaching out and taking what's already theirs. Not begging for anything, but stepping into, drinking, inhaling, receiving, opening the gift that God has given us. Heavenly Father. You are so good to us and so generous to us. In your beloved son, you have given us everything. Where we have not seen that, we, we turn aside from that today and we see the truth. That in Christ, you've given us the fullness of the Holy Spirit. All things are ours. The things present and things to come, the world, everything is ours. Thank you for this. Lord, I pray that you will fill us, those of us who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we will learn to walk in the Spirit, that we will be filled over and over again with the Holy Spirit. Those who have not yet opened the package, as it were, I pray for, for just courage to do that. And that whatever kinds of things have obstructed or confused, that they be removed from us. And that we be able to walk in all that you've given us. I pray for a great, sweet, beautiful blessing. That, those, that that life of the Spirit would come in power on my, my brother or sister. Lord, for those that don't know you yet. We pray for real faith in you as our Lord and Savior. And that you have come to us not only to wash our sins. But to be with us and dwell in us. That we might minister and that we may become like you. And have the power to walk in holiness. Come, dear one, come in power. May that cloud gather over us in increasing strength and pour out your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. If you agree with my prayer, would you say amen? amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.